Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 16, the Russian Grand Prix. Another must-win race for Sebastian Vettel has ended in another Lewis Hamilton victory, but this time even Hamilton himself wasn't happy with the outcome. Mercedes intervened with team orders to move Valtteri Bottas aside for the sake of the Britain's championship campaign, but with Hamilton now 50 points ahead of Vettel, was it really necessary? To help analyse F1's latest team orders debate and whatever else happened in the Russian Grand Prix, I'm joined by Rob James from F1 podcast Box of Neutrals. Rob, how are you doing? Das Vidanya, Michael. <laughs> some gr- some great original Russian. Can, can I can I offer you can I offer you some borscht? Oh, it sounds <laughs> delicious. <laughs> Whatever it is, I always that's thought the ex- they manufactured washing machines. Well, that's the extent of the Russian that I know. That's that's yeah. fine. I look, drove you here in my larder. As well, so. <laughs> you're committed. You're committed to the cause. That's what we look for yeah. in guests. Yes. For the uh, may, may I? Are you are you cold as well? You, can I offer you this lead blanket? <laughs> <laughs> it helps with the radiation. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a look. You can't it, say that. No, Cut this well, out. It's already been. <laughs> It's out there now. It's gone live to podcast. Uh, so this was the sixth last race of the season, the Russian Grand Prix. It was billed essentially as a must-win Grand Prix for Sebastian Vettel. He did not win the must-win Grand Prix. Ferrari didn't have the fastest car in the way they sort of have for the last good few months. Is this just a typical Ferrari conclusion to a season? Uh, no, because someone hasn't been sacked yet. Uh, <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen is just out of contract. Mm. He's just going to another team. Yes. Uh, no. Uh, at Ferrari for the last few seasons, yes, they have lost the ball in terms of, uh, of, of the championship aspirations. But this year, it doesn't seem like any kind of team error. I think we spoke off air about how what Sebastian Vettel on his own accord has lost uh, over two race wins worth of points. Mm. What, 50, nearly 60 odd points? Yeah. Uh, so some of it has to be attributed back to him as well. But uh, I, th- I think Ferrari did did everything right in terms of the race, which I'm sure we'll talk into in a few moments time, much better than it was in Singapore. But uh, Mercedes, yet again, uh, seemed to have the quicker car on on race day, which to be fair has been has swung, you know, either in Mercedes or Ferrari's favour at different points of the year. But if this were a game of tennis, uh, championship point for Lewis Hamilton in Russia. Yeah, it's felt like it's been championship point for a while. It's sort of like they've had to go back and forth, almost like a tiebreak. Except there's no chance Sebastian Vettel will win the tiebreak in this situation, or at least probably there isn't. We should say that much. Both teams brought upgrades to this race. Uh, it seemed to work a, a whole lot better for Mercedes. Now, certainly the Sochi circuit is not... I mean, I feel like we say this about every track, though. It's not a typical circuit, but it is a little bit unusual. We know it's extremely smooth. All the kind of standard new Tilka sort of street circuit rules apply here. But were you surprised by just how far off the pace Ferrari was, even before the weekend seemed to start? Normally, they're at least thereabouts. And though while on race pace, they were fairly close, in qualifying, you never really felt like they were ever going to be in contention. I think they were lucky that Red Bull uh, were very much behind the eight ball in terms mm. of their engine penalties. Yeah. I think had they gone in there with a normal mindset and not taken a raft of penalties for, for, for that weekend, uh, I don't think we probably would have seen a Ferrari on the podium, such was uh, their pace. But, you know, if you look at the history of the Russian Grand Prix, uh, Mercedes, the most dominant team 
in the Russian Grand Prix living history. 100% winning mm-hmm. streak uh, since the first Grand Prix in, what, 2014? Yeah, and even if Russian... you want to, as like a fun trivia fact, there were pre-war races in Russia, pre-championship races, also won by Mercedes. Well, there you go. Yeah. So uh, over two centuries, Mercedes. <laughs> centuries of tradition. That's 100% winning streak in two centuries. What other mark could claim that feat? <laughs> um, but uh, yes and no. I, I, I was surprised by how far behind Ferrari were but you know you know, going into the weekend knowing the history you weren't surprised but I think by the margin that they were I'm surprised they weren't a bit closer mm-hmm. looking a little bit at the the background of this race itself and what the teams were faced with same tyre allocation as in Singapore hyper soft ultra soft and soft the soft was the hardest tyre always like saying that it's always enjoyable to say that but we had this weird situation I mean we're very much at the end of the season obviously we've got five races to go so we're well past the into the final third and so we're starting to get to this point now where power unit penalties are very much starting to to bite certain teams particularly the experimental teams if you like Honda and Renault especially felt it and in this situation it was Red Bull Racing both drivers took new B-spec power units because apparently the C-spec can't deal with high altitudes that they'll be facing in Mexico and Brazil go figure Uh, and also Pierre Gasly and Brendan Hartley for Honda were taking a whole lot of power unit grid penalties and this led to this really interesting and unusual situation Formula 1 always has a way of developing them uh, without even realising it where because Gasly and the two Red Bull drivers all qualified in Q2 but knew they were going to get a penalty and start at the back anyway they chose not to run and then Renault which knew they weren't really fast enough to qualify in the top 10 either also chose not to run so everyone in the top 10 well they really didn't even have to do more than one lap because they were automatically through but it was essentially like a redundant session it's not exactly what you tune into to see in Formula 1 racing no and, and it was very cheeky of those four Renault powered teams to mm. take part in qualifying knockouts some, some yeah. teams who normally let someone else have a go if you know you're going to be starting plum last uh, for this race I think what Dan Ricciardo was supposed to be last he started the race 17th mm-hmm. not even that I think he even started higher than that mm-hmm. perhaps but um, yeah it, it, it was pretty funny that to see the other teams uh, just not take part in Q2 just because they could they were so quick mm-hmm. I think what they were well within the top five I think were were think Red so. Bull Racing which, which you know on the earlier points Ferrari were quite lucky that that um, that Red Bull were quite behind. Uh, sorry, were had those those raft of penalties. Mm-hmm. And so we, it, it was strategic as much as anything else. Obviously, they didn't want to run any extra laps on these power units that don't work. So strategic from that point of view. But also for Renault, who saw this, I suppose cleverly, if you like, as an opportunity not only to not do any extra mileage on their engines, yeah. but also because we had this. In controversy, I suppose you could call it, after Singapore, where drivers in the midfield in particular, the front runners are obviously on a, an in completely different class to everybody else in Formula 1 at the moment, but the midfield drivers who qualified in the top 10 had to start on their hypersofts, were at a supreme disadvantage compared to those who qualified just outside the top 10, but on better tyres. They could start the, the race on whatever tyres they liked. So Renault, all of a sudden, had a guaranteed way to qualify 11th and 12th, and therefore choose their own tyres, which was by not setting any laps. Uh, I mean, that, this is something Romain Grosjean in particular during the week raised as a, he thought as an issue because he was one of the drivers in Singapore who was, who was badly affected by it. I mean, is there anything we can do in this situation? We know the rules were changed so that Q3 would be more exciting, but has it now swung a bit much the other way and it's actually affecting the race in, in a negative fashion? 
Well, it's very much a case of qualifying almost doesn't matter. You could have Lewis Hamilton starting from the back of the grid and he could still win a Grand Prix. So mm-hmm. in terms of race pace, the, the, the teams that are always going to be quicker are just going to be quick anyway. Mm-hmm. So it makes for an exciting 10 or so laps, but then you factor in DRS when, when that's open, uh, all, all the energy recovery passes that we have it's, it's sort of okay that was five laps of entertainment we're back to we're back to square one as if uh, qualifying had actually happened so which is a shame because qualifying should not be a waste of time I, I don't want to be see I don't want to see cars just set one lap just because they have to mm-hmm. or, or, or just feel obliged to do it um, we want there to be some kind of incentive and it's an hour of television let's mm-hmm. face it I don't think that makes a great TV so, I mean, we've already had these qualifying changes before. Of course, we can't remember. I can't, actually can't remember what year it was because it was such a brief moment of time. Was it the pretty... current format? 2006. We had one mm. shot qualifying from about... Oh, till the end of 2005. I think it was because mm-hmm. the typhoon, and hopefully there is not yes. another typhoon mm-hmm. episode this weekend in Japan, but mm. uh, I think it was because the teams then had to qualify... Uh, on the Sunday morning mm-hmm. of the race. We saw this weird two-tiered qualifying system where we qualified on Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning mm-hmm. um, before a Grand Prix. That didn't last very long. No. Uh, and then we had the three-tiered sort of system. I think, uh, again, this may be some kind of Formula 1 internet forum rumor <laughs> that I read in 2006. <laughs> Apparently the idea came from... A mechanic or someone who just bumped into Bernie Eccleston into a hotel room in, in the hotel. Oh, really? And said, "Oh, I've got, I've got an idea for you, Bernie. <laughs> Take this one." And instead of just nodding and smiling politely like most people do, mm-hmm. uh, he actually said, "That's a bloody brilliant idea, and, and and we'll do that." And that's the qualifying system we've all come to know and love. And I think we've been quite, uh, I guess, skeptical in terms of wanting to change it because it's actually been the best system we've had for a while mm. not maybe not the most perfect system but it's been you know on average it's produced some pretty thrilling qualifying sessions in its day and some, I, I guess you know at least in my lifetime i think it's the longest that i can remember mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> i think as a younger formula one fan it was changing all, all, all sorts of ways so this is the most consistent one that we've had for a while but um do, do we dare enter the territory of a qualifying race for example, we're seeing this in other championships around the world, and you know, Formula One in a brave new era. If we, you know, if if we bend the iconic logo of last year, we can just about do anything in Formula One now. Nothing is sacred. I think, you know, it's more than just adding uh, some fantastic music and opening graphics mm. to the package. I think there needs to be some other work. Uh, in the Friday-Saturday format. It's an interesting point you raise, actually. I mean, we when Formula One raises the spectre of changing qualifying rules, everyone would cast their mind back to, I think it was 2016, the first two races, was it, where we had oh. elimination qualifying? I completely I, exactly. I even forgot about that. Yeah, because it was such a brief moment of time and we all worked to bleach it from our memories <laughs> because it was offensive and terrible and no one enjoyed it. And they kept it for two whole races, not even just one. But a qualifying race, I suppose, in many respects, as long as you figure out a way of deciding the grid for that race, which could be done in reverse championship order or whatever championship order even, that does, I suppose, eliminate a lot of problems for the Grand Prix of Sunday itself, doesn't it? If everyone would just start on a new set of tyres, I guess. Mm. Well, maybe that's something that they will be looking at. We know they've considered uh, qualifying races or will be considering qualifying races. It's something that's on the agenda. Other sports have it, like you say. Maybe that's the direction in which we are heading. In terms of the battle for the lead, uh, that was fairly straightforward for Ferrari and Mercedes to qualify on ultra-soft tyres. Again, it shows the pace they had over everybody else, and that gave them a pretty straightforward one-stop strategy 
strategy ahead of themselves. The only sort of problem a Mercedes a Mercedes had is a front row lockout was that Valtteri Bottas was on pole, which is the driver that's not in the championship. Already rumours started immediately that team orders would be enacted at some point. Do you feel like, from Mercedes' perspective, and we'll get into this issue in more detail momentarily, but the thinking back to that last front row lockout, I think it was the previous front row lockout for, for either team, which was the Italian Grand Prix, where Ferrari locked out the front row and managed to completely bungle that race because they didn't seem to want at any point preference any driver. Do you think Mercedes would have been thinking about that when they approached this race? Yeah, uh, it, it's a low-risk strategy to let Valtteri Bottas win mm-hmm. uh, the Russian Grand Prix, as it were, um, for, for Lewis Hamilton's championship aspirations. But Toto Wolff made you know, the perfectly valid point in his team principle. It's very much his responsibility in terms of what orders are dished out. Uh, and we saw you know, on, the, on, the, on the telecast, we saw the, the very uh, ominous tactics button <laughs> there's a direct line to some kind of tactician um on the mercedes pit wall and 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 there's you know no denying what conversation w- would have gone there but uh yeah it, I, you know every the whole problem with team orders has reared its ugly head again for the casual formula one fan mm-hmm. it just confuses people so so us hardcore fans talking about it and listening to this podcast no, it's you know part of the course to to mm-hmm. to do such a thing, but you know again another sort of identity crisis that Formula One has. Is it really a good look um, for mm-hmm. the sport? I know we see it in cycling, but we've even got to the stage where cyclists in the Tour of the France were using F one team orders as an analogy <laughs> mm. in their sport, which is ironic when you consider some of the problems that the sport yeah. has faced. That We'd rather have. that problem than theirs ten it's years ago. True. Yeah, exactly. I'd be fine with the team orders problem. I think from here on in, uh, we'll talk about exactly how that unfolded in a moment because before they could even consider enacting team orders, they had to get past turn two, which it's an extremely long run down to it, and it's another situation where a turn in Formula 1 is not really a turn turn 1 is not anything it's just a bend everyone rushed down to turn 2 Sebastian Vettel attempted to slipstream Lewis Hamilton Hamilton slipstream Bottas and as a result everyone got through that turn in qualifying order it then got to the first pit stops the first moment to blink because even though the ultra softs were more durable they still were not the optimum race tyre the soft tyre was the one which could pretty much do the entire race distance without any issues Valtteri Bottas pit first but then Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari uh, went for the undercut. Unusually, though, given the undercut's a pretty standard procedure and it's fairly easy to cover them off as well, you just pit on the next lap. Mercedes didn't do it. They left they left uh, Lewis Hamilton out for an extra lap, so he pitted the lap after Sebastian Vettel did. And that momentarily lost him a position. Weird situation, given... I know, I know Valtteri Bottas was obviously in the lead and perhaps they were prepared to let him win at that point, but you still do have your championship fight going on with Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. Did they sort of... Do you feel like they dropped the ball a little bit there? Their eye was a bit distracted in what was ultimately the, the more important battle of this race. I don't think so, because, we've again, we've seen them... We've seen either team make bad calls mm-hmm. um, in races. Ferrari and Mercedes are not immune uh, from that. We're talking about very fine margins here where, you know... Sebastian Vettel only just got ahead of Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. by the slimmest of margins after his pit stop. So it could have gone either way. Um, and in this case, Ferrari very much won that battle. It wasn't a problem a couple of laps later. But, mm-hmm. you know, just touching on on Valtteri, though, uh, I think, you know, at that point, Valtteri knows, okay, so now Sebastian's ahead of Lewis. Mm-hmm. I'm in the lead of this Grand Prix. I think the decision has been made for me to win this Grand uh-huh. Prix. So I think... In that essence, I think it was very much not the great... And you, you could tell that Lewis Hamilton wasn't overly, you know, thrilled by winning that Grand Prix either. He did the sort of very meek attempt to, to hand mm-hmm. Valtteri the trophy and then Valtteri said, no, 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 please, 
I'm still driving, he said, <laughs> <laughs> as per the alcohol sponsor. But uh, yeah, so so everyone would have thought that yeah, Valtteri should have had that in the bag because if Mercedes stuffed it up. But then again, it could have been a case of, okay, well, we've, we've stuffed up Lewis's race in that case. Let's stuff up Valtteri's. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be fair for both, right? Stuff yeah, up one, stuff up exactly. Right. So That's we stuffed one. up your la- race, Lewis. Sure, you got the most amount of points, but we have to stuff up Valtteri's in yeah. the process. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets a little bit of the errors that they made. Uh, yeah, like you said, didn't last very long, though, for Lewis Hamilton to have net uh, third place behind Sebastian Vettel. I think Vettel made a mistake at turn 13 of that very first lap. Lewis's outlap, that let him follow him around. Turn two, there was a bit of aggressive defending from Sebastian Vettel. It's cleared by the stewards, that was fine, but Hamilton got past at turn four. But what he had to do to get past him so quickly was really use those soft tyres very hard and very quickly, considering they'd only just come out of the pit lane. They still needed to be warmed up because they were quite durable for this particular circuit. And suddenly there was a little bit of blistering on that rear left tyre. Uh, it's hard that you can't really call it mismanagement because he had to get past Sebastian Vettel when he was vulnerable. But this is kind of the excuse Mercedes used for calling the team orders when Valtteri Bottas obviously wasn't, I don't know, maybe taking them as easily as they yeah. thought perhaps he would. Legitimate excuse, I suppose. Do we want to call it as an excuse? Is it right to call it an excuse? It was completely genuine. In my opinion, no, because Lewis Hamilton is still the person responsible for enacting the the overtake. Sure, he was mm-hmm. put in that position by the by the Bothans on the pit wall, but it's up to him to make that pass stick and to do it to do it safely we'd, we'd be telling a diff- completely different story if, if Vettel and Hamilton got stuck into each other mm-hmm. um, if uh, had what Hamilton rear-ended or front-ended uh, Sebastian Vettel mm-hmm. um, in that race we'd be telling a very different story if it was Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon oh, <laughs> would have been would have been a safety car for sure <laughs> in that instance it's always surprising they didn't come together yeah. actually they're very well behaved when they've had a talking to other false <laughs> India boys they're very meek about it uh, the blistering is what ultimately led to the lap 25 decision for Bottas to swap. He did it very obviously. I do like it when a team order is enacted obviously by the driver stopping. So if just to make sure everybody knows uh, that he's being asked to do this. Uh, but eventually Sebastian Vettel, I mean, he showed that either because Ferrari didn't really have the pace. They were thereabouts, but I think Lewis Hamilton's at after the race. You need nearly one and a half seconds advantage to make any passing happen on this track. And Ferrari obviously didn't have that kind of advantage. The threat subsided. At which point, obviously, Lewis Hamilton had managed the tyres fine in the clear air, which was the idea Mercedes said it had when it wanted to enact that team order. Valtteri Bottas still very much felt like, not that he was owed the victory, but that he'd done enough to earn the victory at this race, and, and radioed rather forlornly, asking whether or not the positions would be switched back. There's obviously the championship context to this. Lewis Hamilton's vying with Sebastian Vettel, and Valtteri is not for the Drivers' Championship. But given this was Valtteri's probably cleanest, most complete weekend of the year, I think certainly, do you feel like he was entitled to have that win handed back to him, given the difference between first and second from Lewis Hamilton's objective was only seven points? It would have been 43 rather than 50 points over Vettel. I think the concept of handing positions back a little bit ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to pass someone, do it properly. And if you're going to pass someone, make it stick. So you you put in that position. I mean, I mean, how many other? Imagine the multi twenty one situation in Malaysia. <laughs> imagine if that they, they had that altercation, mm-hmm. Vettel and and Weber, um, and then oh no, okay, <laughs> I've been told off. You can have it back. It just kind of it, it ruins a bit of the drama and the spectacle of the sport. And I think we saw that with what the Force Indies as well. I, I, mm. I think Sergio Perez was saying, "Oh, Esteban Ocon, he's hopeless. He can't pass <laughs> <laughs> the other cars in front. Let me do it. Let me have mm. a crack." And and I, I thought their team radio was 
they were they were very um if mercedes were very obvious and blase about it force india were very tentative about it which surprised me given that they had every right to sort of you know have a draconian influence over their drivers and mm. tell them we're paying you to do, well actually uh, is paying <laughs> them to do all this but that, that's, a, that's a whole other complication <laughs> yeah. in our sport isn't it it's interesting and this has happened before this season There's maybe not so much that necessarily has to be read into it but I find it interesting that Mercedes this year from what we've heard obviously through the broadcast anyway has on more than one occasion had people not the driver engineers radioing the drivers in situations of I suppose attention. We know Austria was the famous one, right? When uh, James Valds, not James Allen, James Valds, radioed Lewis Hamilton to apologise to him very publicly, and then we had Valds again on the radio to Bottas, and then also Toto Wolff trying to console him on the warm down lap. And Toto Wolff says that's because, for some reason, they hadn't discussed exactly this situation with him, where they would all be in the same order, and maybe Hamilton needed to be ahead of him for whatever reason. Is it strange to think that Mercedes couldn't have planned this situation, given that surely... I mean, considering everybody was talking about it, whether or not Mercedes thought they were going to do it, the fact that this was not... Valtteri Bottas was perhaps not prepared that this might be the case, that Toto Wolff had perhaps not briefed him that this might be the case. Is that unusual, unexpected, given the points difference? I think it was a, it's a very obvious lack of communication between that mm. team. Uh, everyone um, had their own idea of what they were going to do for the team in that race, but no one seemed to be talking to each other, which mm. I think is the is the staggering point. And I think Mercedes' culture is, you know, is the antithesis of that. They're very much uh, very aligned with each other, and they're and, and they're very, you know, team oriented. Um, but the, the, this, this, I don't know. Something seemed lacking mm-hmm. in this one. I, a whole bunch of people had different ideas for of, of their objective for the Grand Prix and, and their part, and it just didn't seem to to come together. But it, it's it's, and I'm just thinking about this race now. I'm I'm actually getting more and more frustrated for Valtteri. <laughs> you were spot on. He had the flawless weekend, and for a mm-hmm. guy who's you know building. Unfortunately, a bit of a resume as a, as a solid number two career mm. driver, the wingman. Excellent wingman. Yeah. yeah, excellent wingman. There's lots of Tom Cruise memes going around. You don't <laughs> want that as your as your reputation form in the one. You want to be mm. on equal footing and 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 be a, and be a multiple race winner. And for Valtteri, this is you know in, in terms of his portfolio of Grand Prix, this is he, he couldn't get much better than this. And mm. and this is a track that's been very kind to him, even in the Williams years as well. He's been very good at this track. I don't know what it is. It's just that magic. Um, sort of aura that uh, that Sochi brings to Valtteri Bottas' driving. It seems to complement him, and he he completely deserved that win. But for whatever reason, just on that day, no one was really thinking the the bigger picture. They were only thinking about Lewis Hamilton's points and, and why they offended him so much because he said guys on the team radio, <laughs> which is usually the, the start of a very long-winded, uh, sarcastic rant. So looking at some of the other results, because Hamilton won from Bottas, Vettel from Raikkonen, Verstappen and Ricardo did... I mean, I, I don't like to understate some of the drives these drivers starting from the back make. Mm. Verstappen had an excellent opening eight laps. He was up to fifth after eight laps, which was extremely impressive. But even he said afterwards, which I thought was good, that when he's got a cast so much faster than the midfield, it's only so impressive. I mean, even Ricardo managed to make it there and he'd lost reportedly up to 30 points of downforce because he had a damaged front wing from the first or second lap. So that sort of tells you how much faster that car is inherently. Uh, but in seventh place, and it should be said from seventh all the way down to 11th, all the drivers that started on the Hypersoft tyres finished more or less in their position. So where it was a massive disadvantage in Singapore, it was not in Russia. But in seventh place was Charles Leclerc for Sauber 
Uh, he did this by overtaking some cars, which is always exciting in a race, isn't it? He did it on laps one and two, uh, Ocon and Magnussen. Was this, I mean, he's had so many drives, strong drives this year, but was this really the evidence, the obvious evidence you wanted that not only did he manage the tyres, he can overtake on traction, not meant to overtake on, and finish quite a far way ahead of the rest, that this is, this is the Ferrari man coming? Do you know what scares me? I thought about this for the first time watching that Grand Prix because I thought, wow, a Sauber is overtaking mm. a, a Haas, which is, you know, in the Ferrari pyramid, um, <laughs> is the better customer team. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you recall a certain spectacular Sauber driver some seven odd years ago? Mm, He's yes. now in Force India paying for that seat. Yeah, being so, asked to move aside. It, it, it's, yeah, I. Charles Leclerc, you know, he had a sort of a very quiet start to his career, very much coming mm-hmm. to grips um, to Formula uh, in in his post Formula Two career to mm-hmm. to F one and sort of you know did his thing very quietly, um, wasn't spectacular, but 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 wasn't but wasn't too fast either. Then it just clicked mm-hmm. for him, started visiting the circuits that he uh, ran again, but and it was just so impressive to watch him overtaking the mm-hmm. Haas with with such ease. That car does not belong where it does. Mm-hmm. And you see that, you know, Marcus Ericsson, very competent driver, but again, he's the sort of middle-of-the-road drivers that just brings it home at the end of the Grand Prix, a reliable set of hands, whereas Charles Leclerc has this intrinsic ability to do just about anything with a car, no matter what. He, you know, he could be in a Toro Rosso Honda for all we know, probably in the points mm-hmm. as well. He could just... He, he just adapts to whatever environment that, that he's in. Um, I, I just... I really hope it's a case of he is not, you know... He he, do, he doesn't get the the sort of the 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 fear of running for a massive team like Ferrari in his second season in F one get to him a bit, which mm. is the worry for any young man, any young racing driver that we've seen over the years. We've seen it happen before. I don't think so, but I just want to warn that for people. Yeah, a valuable. I mean, a valuable comparison perhaps because everyone was all the rage. Sergio Perez scored podiums for Sauber. He was overtaking. He, uh, what he overtook Fernando Alonso in the twenty. Oh, I think he almost th- did in Malaysia. Yeah, right? Malaysia in 2012 or 13? Uh, don't remember. 2012 or 2013? Good question. Write in. Strategy report. I don't know what our email address is. but uh, 2012. Just leave a comment on the Facebook group. I remember I had to catch a flight. I was in a very nervous hurry <laughs> for, for that one. Why won't this race end? <laughs> uh, and finally, I just want to touch on Renault because they started with what they thought and what Singapore would have suggested was the superior strategy, the contra strategy, starting Hulkenberg and Sainz on the soft tyre in 11th and 12th. Sainz picked up damage, so he finished pretty much last. So let's move that aside. But Hulkenberg ran what should have been the optimum strategy, finished ahead of only Marcus Ericsson, was overtaken by Romain Grosjean late in the race because Hulkenberg needed to do some serious fuel saving. Renault's on a five or six year journey to come back to championship competitiveness so naturally this is when they should be looking at next season not necessarily this season. Is the team's wobbles at this point in the season? They've they've yet to really string together a really strong race in this second half of the year. Concerning do you think given that I mean they're very much really in the thick of the midfield not really poking their head above it in the way maybe we expected at the beginning of the season. Yeah, uh, and and they need to practice very much uh, for 2019 with the arrival of Dan Ricciardo. I mean, no offense to the likes of Carlos Sainz and Nico Hulkenberg, but you know Carlos, you know, relatively inexperienced when it comes to to Grand Prix racing compared to Dan, certainly in terms of race wins and pole positions. But mm. uh, and Nico Hulkenberg, he's been around the block a while. He 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 knows all the secrets, so mm. he, he knows how to put together a, a consistent race weekend. Whereas Dan Ricciardo will have that, I guess, that winner's edge. Um, that he brings to that team. Um, as far as I'm aware, he's not bringing any people over from mm-hmm. Red Bull Racing to Renault, so it's not like he can just, 
plug and play like when Schumacher went to Ferrari with the likes of Ross Braun and Rory Byrne and and and, and the like back then. So it's a, it's a very much a different context for him. So yeah, I mean they'll be focusing on wind tunnel data and designing the car, but you still have Grand Prix to do. That doesn't change, mm-hmm. you know, just, just because you're going twenty full twenty four hours on the CAD machines back at your base in. In, in in Enstone doesn't mean um, you have to make the right calls on the pit wall so that that that's concerning um, a little bit but whether that changes because Dan arrives I don't think it's that clear cut or that overnight so yeah they have a few Grand Prix to really set the trend for, for next season mm-hmm. and it will be interesting to see how the balance of the season does pan out in the midfield which remains far closer than the championship has ended up being 50 points is the gap Hamilton took away to Vettel from Russia with five races remaining notwithstanding a possible typhoon in Japan well it's hard to bet against Hamilton extending that again next weekend uh, the Russian Grand Prix sort of went the way you expected it there was some stuff to talk about and Rob James it was a pleasure to talk about it with you it was a pleasure to watch the Russian Grand Prix there was more overtaking than last year which I'm uh, which everyone should be happy with so uh, it was it was fun to relive it again with you Michael <laughs> that was Rob James from F1 podcast Box of Neutrals the Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can get every episode by subscribing on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and on your favourite podcasting app. And you can also leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Amanato. You can find me at Michael Amanato on Twitter. And I'll catch you in just a week's time for a look back at the Japanese Grand Prix.